As we come to our message this morning in Galatians chapter 1, we're talking about don't run away from God's grace. You say, Pastor, why in the world would you say something like that? Well, as you read through this passage of Scripture and this book, you'll discover that Paul is not a happy camper. In fact, he's pretty angry. He's upset. And he ought to be. He had spent some valuable time uh, seeking to establish the churches in Galatia and had to leave them in the hands of some of those that he had trained. And unfortunately, you know the old saying, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And unfortunately, there were those who were sneaking in and trying to undermine the ministry that Paul had so effectively produced there. If you read the, uh, the book of Acts, chapter 13 and 14, you will discover that Paul founded the churches in southern Galatia. That is really uh, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. He did this on his first missionary journey. And actually, this particular region was not too far from Tarsus. It would be northwest of Tarsus. And so he went there and established these churches, and he left them in good standing. And he went away saying, wow, man, they're moving in the right direction. Praise God, I can go on somewhere else. And then he finds out that things aren't going well. And so he has to write this letter to them, trying to encourage them by scolding them and letting them know you really are a disappointment. As you read this, you'll almost discover that Paul is like a, a father speaking to his wayward children trying to recommend to them to get back to the basics. And Paul is concerned because we are saved by the grace of God and the grace of God alone, nothing else added. And what was happening when he left, there were others who were coming in and saying, oh no, uh, you, you need to also have in addition to what Jesus did, you still have to obey the re religious law of the Jews. And you have to, not only that, you have to be very respectful of the tradition of our rabbis. And th that carries as much weight as what Jesus said. And what Paul is saying, no, 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 that is not so. And there's going to be uh, three points that I would like to share with you this morning. The first is in verses 1 through 5, and that deals with Paul's call. And Paul's call is personal. And then in verses 6 through 10, I want to look at Paul's concern. And Paul's concern is practical. That's where he's upset. I'm disappointed. How could you have gone in this direction? And he's pointing his finger. And the last point is Paul's contention in verses 11 through 24, and that is powerful. So let's begin by looking at our first thought, Paul's call. He reminds us in verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, nor through agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And verse 2, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now notice you have two things here with Paul's ordination. Most ministers have to go through an ordination council. That means that they've gone to school, they've studied the scriptures, and the ordination council wants to make sure that their theology is consistent with the word of God. Paul didn't go to a theological ordination like I did. 
where I had all these peers before me listening to my explanations and then trying to criticize everything I said. I remember that uh, one of the astute theologians there said, uh, Pastor, I mean, I wasn't a pastor then, uh, uh, Mr. Fox, are you a superlapsarian or an infolapsarian? I had that, but I couldn't remember what I was. So I said to him, you tell me what it is and I'll tell you what I am. <laughs> Fortunately, there was a good moderator and he said, those kind of questions are out of order. Okay, so, but it's important to recognize that you want to know your theology and you want to be on center. But Paul didn't go through a, an ordination council like I did. He says he was not called by men or by a man. There wasn't one single person that called him and not a, a group of ministers that gave their credentials upon him. He says, my call came from who? From who? From Jesus and from God the Father, okay? So he's saying, look at, I want you to know that my ordination council was Jesus and God. And you know you can't get a better council than that, can you? But notice, he doesn't just end there, and all the brethren who are with me in the churches of Galatia. So he's saying, not only did God call me, and we'll get to that, because he's going to talk about that a little bit later on, about that great call of his, but he's saying, these men that are with me are now standing with why? Because they agree that God has called me and set me into this missionary enterprise of preaching the gospel of God's grace. And so, not only does he have the ordination from Jesus, but he also has the corroboration from those who are his peers, uh, agreeing with what he is saying. Now, in verses 2 through 5, we go to the... Uh, uh, operation, or that is a, uh, uh, the way he is going to deal with this. Notice in verse 3, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of his standard greetings. Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So he starts off with this wonderful operation by mentioning God's grace and God's peace. Now, grace is spelled G-R-A-C-E. And you can just kind of put it this way, God's riches at Christ's expense. Did you get that? Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Amen? Amen. So, but that's a, a neat way to try to remember what grace is all about. But when he's talking about grace, he's talking about God's grace is an activity that God does towards us, right? God's grace was extended towards us when God saw that we were hell-bent towards hell, right? We, we, we are making the wrong decisions in life and we're choosing to go in the wrong direction and God says, I need to rescue them. And in God's grace, he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul reminds us that it is important for us to recognize that his grace is, is his work towards us in sending the Lord Jesus Christ to rescue us from our own disastrous behavior. But not only that, grace is also God's work in us, isn't it? 
Not does only God work, does God work uh, towards us, but then God does something inside of us. When you and I commit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says all things pass away, all things become new. You and I, we, we are throwing off the old garment and putting on a new garment. We're not going to cuss and swear like we once did, right? Our mouths are going to be straightened out. Some of the habits that we have in life are going to be changed. And God is going to allow his Holy Spirit to work inside of us and make us completely different from what we were before. So you have not only does God's work towards us and God's work in us, but then you have to recognize God's work through us, right? We're to go into all the world and to preach the gospel and share the good message. And God wants you to do that wherever you work, wherever you may be in life. And so you and I have the great opportunity to know God's grace. So he talks about God's grace and then he goes on and he talks about God's peace. Peace is the inward comfort and the outward prosperity. That, that's what God does for us. He gives us that inward peace and he blesses us as outwardly, right? And so that you and I know the abundant blessings of our great God. Peace is the inward comfort, joy and blessing that comes from God. If you don't have that peace, do you know God? It's promised to us. It's promised to you. You and I can know God's grace and God's peace. And Paul says, my message that I preached to you was the gospel of God's grace and God's grace brings God's peace. And you will never have God's peace unless you have God's grace. And don't try to do it the other way around. Don't try to find God's peace first and then God's grace. When peace rules the day, Christ will rule the mind. Right? Paul then moves on in verses 6 through 10, and he deals with his concern. I am amazed, astonished, upset, grieved, disappointed. That's me talking. That you are so quickly deserting him who called you. <laughs> what do you think they were thinking? Do you think that they thought they had deserted him? No, they, they didn't think they were deserting him. They thought they were adding something more that would be good, right? And Paul is saying, we don't make addition to God's grace. God's grace is sufficient all alone. In and of itself, God's grace is sufficient. You're saved by God's grace. You get on your knees, you confess your sins, and Jesus Christ redeems and sets you free. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, right? Oh no, plus, 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 plus. And Paul is saying, no, there are no pluses to that. It is belief on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Peter says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No if and and ends about it. So he says, I'm, I'm so upset, I'm so disturbed that you're so quickly moving away from the simple truth of God's grace in Christ 
and to a different gospel. So what's he saying? If you start playing around with God's grace, you're playing around with the gospel. And the gospel no longer is the gospel. The good news is simply that God did one thing for you. He died on the cross to redeem you of your sins and set you free and make you a new new creature. And you don't need anything else but the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The law was good, but that was only a schoolmaster until Christ came. And now when Christ came, the law shows us our sin so that we can get down on our knees and say, Lord, I need your redemption. And Jesus Christ pays for our redemption. So he reminds us, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which really is not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven should preach any other gospel contrary to that which is preached to you, let him be accursed. Also, uh, and, and I, uh, uh, as we have said before, I say again, if any man is preaching to you contrary to that which you have received, let him be accursed. For am I now trying to please men or God? It's trying to please God, right? Or am I striving to please man? Men? No. If I were trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So here we see that the apostle now is dealing with uh, some uh, important observations. Number one in verse six, you're so quickly deserted God. How could you have so quickly done this? I'm disturbed, I'm upset. Christ did everything that you needed and now you want to replace it with something else. And it's not really another gospel at all. It's a distortion of the true gospel. Not only uh, did they desert God, but in verses 6 and 7, he says, you replaced, right? You replaced what God had given to you with something else, okay? And uh, uh, you replaced the good news, the gospel. And then he goes on, and this is interesting, uh, because, uh, but even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you another gospel. What's he saying? Number one, he's saying, God's message never changes, right? And don't think that you have the right to change God's message. Preach your fox. You've got to remember, when I'm preaching from the word of God, no one I'm preaching from the word of God and no one I'm adding my own interpretation, right? God's word will never be wrong, my interpretation may. And if you discover that my interpretation is not consistent with the word of God, Don't go to somebody else and tell them. Come to me and tell me so that I can ask for your forgiveness and then I'll get up in the next pulpit, next time I get in the pulpit, and I'll ask for their forgiveness, right? But we want to be faithful to the word of God and we need to be consistent to that. But notice that he says, though we or an angel from heaven. Doesn't that remind you of something? (laughs) Doesn't it take you back to the Garden of Eden? Who was it that came to Adam and Eve? Wasn't it the devil? It was an angel from heaven? Wasn't he at one time an angel in heaven? Yes, he was. But he was an angel in heaven that disgraced his credentials and left his calling and became an embarrassment to to the very calling of God in his life. 
and he decided that he wanted to usurp God's authority and be God himself. So he reminds us here that uh, we need to be careful to whom we're listening to. We may not be listening to the one we think we are listening to, but actually listening to the devil himself. And then in verse 10, notice the, the, the observation. For am I now seeking to favor men or God? What is he saying? One of the difficulties of any person that has any type of authority or power is that we uh, can get too big for our own britches. And unfortunately, uh, we become man-pleases rather than God-pleases. And we're seeking the approval of men rather than God. And when we're preaching from the pulpit, are we preaching to please men or to please God? Every message I preach doesn't please people, right? I hope they please God. That's the important part. I don't deliberately want to offend anybody. But at the same time, if God's word offends, then it's got to be God's word that offends. I don't want to be offensive, right? So there's a fine line there. I can become offensive in the way I say things, which is terrible. But if I'm saying things the way God says it and it's offensive then that may be the Holy Spirit trying to use those words to bring conviction and change in a person's life. And of course, that's what we're concerned about. Then in verses 11 through 24, we look at Paul's contention, and it's powerful. Look at uh, uh, verse 11. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me was not according to man. I'm not trying to please. He just said, I'm not trying to please man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel I preach, Paul is saying, is not mine. It's God's. Where does the origin of the gospel come from? It comes from God. And Paul is saying, what I am saying, I am saying because God has given it it to me to pass on to you. Verse 12, he goes on to say, for I neither received it from men, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ in verse uh, 12. The gospel did not come to me, Paul is saying, by way of information, It didn't come to me by the way of inspiration. It didn't come to me by the way of perspiration. The word of God came to me by what? Revelation. It came to me from God and God himself. Do you believe that? Go to the book of Acts, right? How did Paul get his revelation? Paul was a notorious man by the name of Saul. Do you know Saul's background? Go to Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 22 and you will discover that Paul 
was raised by a man by the name of Gamaliel. He was the expert teacher of Judaism. Paul was trying to become a rabbi, and he was exceedingly well, doing well as a student. And he took his theology so strong that he became a persecutor of Christians in Acts chapter 9. And while he is persecuting Christians, he gets permission from all the Jewish authorities to go to Damascus. And on the way to Damascus to persecute the Christians, God stops him in his tracks and throws him to the ground and says, Paul, what in the world has gotten into you? You have no idea what you're doing. You want to be a godly person and you're acting ungodly. Who are you, Lord? I don't know who's talking to me. But he knew it was a divine voice. And the voice that came back said what? I am Samuel. Didn't it? Oh, I am Elijah. No. I am Isaiah. No. I am who? Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He's blind. He's taken to Damascus. And God sends wonderful healing into his heart and life and soul. And he wonderfully gets transformed and becomes this dynamic servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Saul now becomes Paul. And as his Life changes, his name changes, and his ministry changes, and his concerns and interests change. In verse 13, for you have heard of my, he's talking to the, to the, to the folks that he's writing to, uh, and you know this. You, you guys, you, you, you know, this was not a secret, Right? In verse 13, he goes on to say, For you have heard of my former conversation of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. You know my past. It is no secret. You know my life. It is no ministry. You know my mission. My mission was what? To persecute the church. To promote Judaism, legalism, tradition. That was my purpose, my goal. I wanted people to know I'm a devout Jew. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He talks about that, doesn't he? Later on, he talks about how proud he is of his credentials, and he says they're worthless. Everything I thought was important, when I found Jesus Christ, I realized they went out the back door. And when you become a Christian, everything in your former life goes out the back door. Why? Because now Jesus Christ came in the front door. And he's going to change your life and make all things new. In verse 15, but when he who set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. 
Paul now here moves and he talks about his mission and he's saying my mission got a transmission, a new transmission, right? His whole life is going to be changed now. His, his mission now got a new transmission. Why? Because of the great grace of God. In verses 15 and 16, you see two wonderful things. In verse 15, but he who set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me. What is Paul talking about here? I want you to know I know something now that I never knew before. I know the wonder of God's grace. And verse 15, Paul is saying, marvelous, wonderful grace of God. I know God's grace. I deserve the judgment of God, but I received the grace of God. And folks, I deserve the judgment of God. And you deserve the judgment of God. I don't care how goody two-shoes you are. Because the Bible says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's what God says. And I believe what God says. Oh, I like to think I'm a pretty good two-shoe guy. But God says, you're no good for anything. Apart from my grace, you're good for nothing. But in God's grace, I'm good for something. I'm good to be a child of God, a citizen of heaven. In verse 16, he goes on, that, I, uh, that, that he, he revealed his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Now, now he, he goes from the wonder of God's grace to the splendor of God's grace. Now God has called me, he has set me apart, and he laid his hand upon me, and he called me from my birth, and he, he's now set me on a new mission that I might be able to preach the good news, the gospel, not Judaism. That's going away. That's out the back door. But I can preach the good gospel of Jesus Christ. I can become an evangelist and now share that good news. And then he moves on and uh, he reminds us, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. What's he saying? Well, most people when they get saved, they want to go to the preacher and learn as much as they can. He didn't. Remember, Paul was an outstanding Bible scholar. Paul had been taught by one of the most outstanding religious leaders of his day. Paul didn't have a trouble knowing the scriptures. He had a difficulty understanding how the scriptures related to the Lord Jesus Christ because Judaism never taught that. But when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road and he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, Paul now has to do some soul searching. And he could have gone to the apostles and said, now, can you set me straight in all of this? But Paul didn't want to be told by men. If God called him, he wanted God to teach him. If Jesus stopped him, he wanted Jesus now to fill him. And so, he, what does he do? He, he uh, moves on and he goes away to Arabia. And uh, I call this the first Bible institute. He went for three years 
to a Pauline Bible Institute led by the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he is away for these three years in Arabia and then coming back to Damascus, what is Paul doing? His whole life has been turned topsy-turvy, upside down. What's going on? He's now taking the scriptures that he had so wonderfully studied and he's now finding Jesus every page. That's why when you read through Paul's writings, so much of the gospel, the Old Testament, is in the New Testament, right? Because he's going back. This is the fulfillment. This is the, we didn't see that we were blinded. Our eyes were, 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 were blinded. He comes back from that three-year Bible institute, and then he says in verse 19, but I did not see any other of the apostles. Well, go back to, let me go back to uh, 18. Uh, then three years, I, I went to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any of the other, other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, he went to speak with Peter. We don't know what, what went on there, but he had a good 15-day time with Peter where he was beginning to learn some important truths that uh, he needed to learn. In verse 20, and uh, he goes on to say, For in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Why did he have to say that? Don't you think they should have known that? You would have thought so. But Paul wants to make sure that they understand, hey, I have nothing in this but to be what God wants me to be. And I want you to know that I'm telling you the truth. God knows the truth, even if you don't. And God knows the truth, even if you don't want to accept the truth. And I don't have to worry about you accepting the truth. I do have to worry about me knowing that God knows the truth. And that's where I can stand firm when I know I'm standing with God. I hope you're standing with God too. Now that's what Paul is concerned about, right? And then in verses 21 and 24, now my new mission, my new mission is to bring glory to God. What is Paul saying? Everything that happened to me, you know. I started these churches. I helped you to grow. You knew all about this. And I wanted to bring glory to God. And I thought that when I left you, I had brought glory to God. But now I find out that the glory has diminished. Something has taken away the, the brightness that I thought was there. And you know who it was, right? What is seeking to draw you away from God? Paul makes it very clear. The world, the flesh, and the devil. They're all out to move you away from being what God wants you to be. And the devil is a great manipulator. He always has been, he always will be. And that's why you and I need to be filled with the Spirit of God and accept the grace of God and rely on that great grace of God. In conclusion, let's continue through verses 21 through the end. Then I went to the region of Syria and Cilicia, 
Now that's the area that he was raised, basically in that particular area. And I was unknown by sight to the churches in Judah which were in Christ. So all of this has taken place before he ever went and got to the Jerusalem Council. And all these wonderful things have taken place. And I want you to know that uh, this all happened uh, before I was acquainted with that. But the only thing that people knew was what? And the only thing they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. What is Paul saying? They didn't know anything about me personally. They only knew about me from hearsay. But what they heard about me was that my life was radically transformed because I became a goody two-shoes. No, my life was radically transformed by the grace of God. For what purpose? Verse 24. And they were glorifying God because of me. Not because of me, because of God's work in me. Right? And we don't want people glorifying us. We want people glorifying God's work in us. Saying, Lord, I thank you you redeemed that person. I thank you that you're using that person. I thank you that you're helping that person. Because of God's grace, Paul is saying, I am now at peace. Jesus gave himself for me. Now I want to give myself for him. Now, he says, I have everything I longed for. Paul wanted to please God, but he wanted to please God by the religion he had learned as a child. And he didn't realize that that religion was really leading to death until Jesus came into his life and said, Paul, that was only a schoolmaster. That was just to keep people straight until I could send my son and redeem them. But now my son has come and now the full light of the gospel is here and now the grace of God is setting all men free. For Paul, his call was personal. His concern was practical, and his contention was powerful. What about you here in the service today, and you out in cyberspace? God wants you to know that you can be transformed, and that your life can be changed just like Saul's. Saul's was changed from Saul to Paul, because his life was changed by the miracle of God's grace in his life. Saul, the hater, became Paul, the lover. Jesus wants to meet you on your Damascus road. What road are you traveling? That can be your Damascus road where the light of heaven can come into your heart and into your life and transform you and set you free and make you a child of God forever. When Jesus spoke to Paul on that road or Saul on that road, he set him free. He was bound by his own religious thoughts and traditions. 
but Jesus now set him free to be bound by heaven's truth and God's son. How about it? Will you make this hour, this day, your Damascus hour? And will you accept Jesus Christ as your savior? Will you travel the new road, the new road that God can give? If you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart and life, you can do so by just bowing your head and asking him to be your savior and your Lord. And that new road (laughs) will come the freeway to heaven. May God help us. Father, we thank you for your word that is powerful and quick. And we're thankful, our Father, that we could learn this morning how important it is not to run away from your grace. Lord, these believers never thought they were running away. And so many in the world don't think they're running away. But Father, the truth is evident. The world is filled with men and women who are running away from your grace and your truth. The violence, the hatred, the bitterness that we've seen these recent weeks, Lord, is from the devil. Lord, your holy word teaches us. We, we can re- disrespect, uh, c- can be uh, uh, dis- disagreeing with people, but in a respectful way. Oh God, we pray that you will help us to be the kind of believers that you want us to, believe, to be and to be set free from all the tyranny of this world. We thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for your grace and truth. In Jesus' name we give you thanks. Amen.